Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. So today, uh, when Brandon asked me to speak, I started to, you know, kind of figure, try to pray and figure out, like, God, what do you want me to talk about? Um, and there's a, there's a message that God gave me years ago. I instantly felt like God put that on my heart. I'm like, God, I haven't preached that in a long time. And he's like, well, I want you to preach. I want you to do a little different, but I want you to preach that. And I, I kind of argue with God a little bit. I'm like, ah, I want to preach something better. I've got something hot, something fresh, something new, something I just did like a couple weeks ago that I'm excited about. He's like, I don't want you to preach that. I want you to preach this. And so that's what we're going to preach today. And so this is a message that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, and my message today is titled One More Lap. And so I want to talk to you about a story that I'm sure all of us have maybe heard at some point in time in our life, and we've heard renditions of the story. Um, and it can be found in Joshua, Joshua chapter 6, and the battle of Jericho. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, and so when, when God put this message on my heart, um, I just felt like he said, hey, there are people that need to hear this message. This is a couple years ago. A message of, of not giving up, a message of hope. And so maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe that's why God wants me to, to preach this today. Maybe there's someone here you need to hear, don't give up. Have some hope. I don't know about you, but if you watch a lot of news, which I encourage you not to do, here lately, it seems like what in the world are we doing, right? Um, and so today, I just want to encourage you with the word of the Lord this morning. So Joshua chapter 6, I'm in the New King James Version. Um, starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all your men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast of the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, would you speak to us through your word today? In Jesus' name. I want to describe Jericho for you. I'm more of a visual person. So if you could throw that slide of what the city of Jericho probably looked like. So here, here's the walls of Jericho. And so you notice there's like a, what some believe anywhere from 17 to 30 foot retaining wall. On top of that sat another wall around 30 feet. Then there was a steep embankment up to another wall that was around 17 to 30 feet. Up here is where all the the rich, the king of Jericho lived. Down here is where kind of lower class lived. So, and, and people lived within the walls as well. That's how thick the walls were. The walls actually, um, they say that they were so thick that chariots could race on top of the walls. This is a city that was about eight to nine acres big. It's, it wasn't huge, but it was known to be very fortified, and it was known for its military power. The children of Israel, Joshua, who's leading the children of Israel, they are trying to reach the promised land that God had promised them and promised to Moses years before. But in order to get to the promised land, they had to get through Jericho. Jericho was a place that was known for its archers. 
It was known for um, how impenetrable the walls were. When God shows up, the angel of the Lord shows up to Joshua, and he tells him this plan. Can you imagine being Joshua and going back to his people? Like, I want you to go there with me. Army was about 40,000 men. That was just the men, 40,000. And Joshua goes back, and he says, all right, guys, this is what we're going to do. They all know Jericho's coming. They all know once they crossed the Jordan River, which was a couple chapters back, they all knew that Jericho was in the future. And so they're probably expecting, okay, we're going to go in, we're going to wage war, God's going to drop fire from heaven, who knows what's going to happen. And Joshua goes back, and he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. What God says we're going to do is we're going to go to Jericho. Like, yeah. Like, we're going to walk around the city. Yeah. We're going to come back to camp. Wait, 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 what did he say? This is before they had PA systems, so it's not like Joshua, you know, is talking on the microphone. They're probably having to play a, a big game of telephone, right? He said, we're going to walk around the city. What is he stupid, right? Like, 40,000 people, I don't know about you, but in a, in a, in a church, all the pastors can say, man, there's a lot of differencing of opinions. Can you imagine how many differencing of opinions there are in an army of 40,000 people? There's probably some people going, what in the world? What is Joshua doing? He's ain't a little bit too bad, too many, too much bad manna at this point, right? Like, and so then Joshua says, we're going to do this. We're going to do this for six days. And then on the seventh day, yeah, what are we going to attack them? Nope. We're going to walk around the city seven times. They're like, what? Okay, but after the seventh time, then what? He's like, then we're going to shout. <laughs> Wait, what? We're going to do what? He's like, yeah, we're going to shout. And God says the walls are going to fall. I, I don't know. I mean, God, God said it. I don't know. Anybody ever felt like God told you something or God showed you something? And you're like, uh, mm-hmm, God, I don't know, right? But this is what God said. And Joshua, here's the thing, though. Joshua knew, above all, I trust God. Joshua knew that God is still God in the face of impossible situations. The Red Sea was an impossible situation. The battle where the sun stood still was an impossible situation. Crossing the Jordan River was an impossible situation. But God came through all the other times. Joshua had no choice but to believe that God would come through again. So I want to talk to you about impossible situations. I don't know about you, but this journey called life that we're on, many of us come up against our own Jerichos all the time. Maybe it doesn't look like a fortified city, but there's a lot of times in life where Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a financial hardship. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe it's COVID-19. And we come up against these things that say, God, how will we ever get through this? We all hold on to a promise, right? Just like the Israelites held on to a promise of the promised land. We hold on to the promise that's, that's confirmed to us several times throughout the scripture. A couple of scriptures that, that talk about the promise that we have is Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.8. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do you 
not know that those who run in a, in a race all run, but only one receives a prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Listen, we all have a promise. We all have a prize. But sometimes we lose sight of that. We allow life to get messy, and we allow life to get kind of, kind of blur what, what, what we're looking for and what we're stretching for. Can I tell you that I'm here to remind you that there is a promise that we are all working towards. You're on this earth for a reason. God has a plan for you. He has great things in store for you. And here's the thing. You don't have to just wait for eternity. You can start doing that right here, right now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now listen, there's an enemy that wants to stop that from happening, and that's what we come up against all the time. But I want to give you three points today. Three points to help us have victory in our lives when we come up against our own Jerichos. Point number one, do not be afraid. The Bible is filled with, 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 with the words do not fear and do not, do not be afraid several, several, several times. Um, Joshua chapter 1 is one of my favorite, favorite places where God tells Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. He actually tells him, have great courage, right? Have great faith. I'm here to tell you, listen, don't be afraid what the enemy tries to throw at you. Don't be afraid when the enemy comes in like a flood. Listen, there's a lot of things that we can watch the news on and all of these things here lately where it makes us want to be afraid. But that's not who God's called us to be. He's called us to be people of faith. When I was younger, uh, you know, a lot of things happened in, this, in the age from like 15 to 17. Johnny invited me to, to a youth camp. Um, I've never been to youth camp before. And uh, I remember my first year of youth camp. I'm sitting in front, right, they have altar call. And I go up front, and I felt like right then is when the Lord was calling me to the ministry. Now, listen, I told you before, I wasn't the coolest kid. Johnny was the cool kid, Right? I wanted to be like Johnny. I couldn't believe Johnny wouldn't be friends with me. Like, let me just paint this picture for you. I looked like Bozo the Clown and Spanky had a baby, okay? I know, it's not funny. Listen to me. I was 5'2 and had a size 13 shoe. Do you know what it's like to fall upstairs all the time? Not fall downstairs. Like, my feet would get in the way as I would try to go up the steps. I, I wear the same size shoe now that I wore in seventh grade. But I'm a whole foot taller than I am back than I was back then. My parents hated buying shoes for me my sixth grade year. I started my sixth grade year in September in a size eight. By the time May rolled around, I'm a size 13. I kid you not. I remember my dad went out and bought this pair of Nikes I wanted. Whoo, I was oh so excited. Now here, let me just paint this picture for you too. I was a homeschool kid up until seventh grade, and that's when my parents decided to throw me to the wolves called public school. Demented is what it was. So here's the thing. They bought this pair of Nikes because I wanted to be cool like Johnny. I was out of the pair of Nikes by October. My dad was livid. So he went out and bought me. Actually, what I made him do is there's a pair of shoes that Brandon had. They're called the answers or the question. It was, it was the questions. The questions. They're Iversons. Woo! Anybody know the Iversons? No, you don't. Anyway, Brandon does. I wanted these shoes. I made my dad travel all over to every champs, foot locker, foot action in the greater Kansas City area. He couldn't find them. So I got stuck with like a pair of ridiculous looking Reeboks, but whatever. I'm not bitter about it. Didn't matter. I was out of those shoes by November. And literally, 
Finally, my dad's like, you're getting Walmart shoes. I don't even care. You're getting, go pick out a pair of shoes. Here's the shoes that I, that I am wearing. And they were like these giant white shoes. Now those are cool, but not back then, <laughs> right? Like the big white K-Swiss looking boats, right? And so that's what you wear, $10, Walmart. So I remember, though, like I wasn't that cool, and I wanted to be cool. And I remember when God called me into ministry, I was like standing in the altar, and I was like, I think you missed. I think you meant that kid. Because I knew who I was. <laughs> I was terrified to get up in front of people. I couldn't talk in front of people. I had a terrible lisp. I still have a little bit of a lisp. It's not as bad as it once was. I had a terrible lisp. I wasn't the cool kid. How was I going to get up in front of people and talk? I remember I got a chance to preach my first sermon at 17. I had 10 pages of notes. I preached the entire thing without looking up in less than five minutes. Just, amen, right? And I remember being so afraid, like, God, I can't do this. God said, you're right. I can do it through you if you just be obedient, if you just listen, if you just allow people like Brandon to come into your life and help you. See, sometimes God calls us to things, and we don't see how any way in the world that's going to happen. Because we're only dealing with what's in front of our face. But see, God, he deals outside of what's in front of our face, right? He deals with all kinds of resources that he has access to. And God wants to use you in great and powerful ways. But a lot of times we allow, like, our comfortability and we allow fear to hold us back from all that God is calling us to do. Can I tell you that God has placed you on this earth right now for this season for a reason? Listen to me. I'm telling you, I, the other day I was starting to pray. I'm like, God, what kind of world are my kids growing up in? And I felt like the Lord said, hey, listen to me. I saw this long before because I don't even operate in your time. I operate outside of time. And can I tell you that I placed river right now, right here for this season. So don't worry about it. Just like I placed you on this earth for this season right here and right now. And can I tell you, we need to remind ourselves of that, that it doesn't matter what comes. God saw you fit to live right now in this time during COVID-19 to make a difference for his kingdom. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in this world. But that's what we have to choose to believe. And it's hard to choose to believe that when you're on Twitter and when you're on CNN and when you're on Fox News all the time. Turn off your TV. Turn it off. Get off of social media. It's bad for you. I'm telling you. Now, listen, I'm not. I'm not saying social media and all that can't be used for good. It can. But if all you're doing is dwelling on the doom and the gloom, how are you going to give joy to people who need it? All right. Comfort zones. This is what I just want to touch on just quickly before we go to point two. Comfort zones. This is what we allow a lot of times to hold us back from doing just amazing things. I got to tell you another funny story with Brandon. Me and Brandon went to Atlanta. Um, I don't know two and a half years ago, three years ago. And I'm going as a DYD of the trip, right? So I'm organizing the trip. I'm in charge. If people die, it's on me. <laughs> so we go to Atlanta, and we're driving around in this bus, and, like, they take us out on what they call Princess Night. Well, Princess Night was a night where, like, you go out and, like, you minister to sex trafficking, victims, prostitutes, pimps, things like that. And uh, they told us before we went, they're like, don't worry. You're not going to go to, like, these really intense places, blah, 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 right? So me and Brian are like, okay, cool. 20 minutes into it, we're in a pretty intense place. 
On top of that, we have a 14-year-old girl on the bus who feels like God told her to get off the bus and go minister to someone. And we're like, oh, okay, okay. So she tells the driver to stop the bus. I'm in the middle of the passenger I'm looking at Brandon like, what's happening? She opens the door. She darts out. I'm like, where's she going? Brandon's like, I don't know, but I'm going. So I'm like, okay. So there they go down some dark black alley in downtown Atlanta. And I'm like, okay, okay, this, this is fine. This is fine. No one's going to die. It's okay. 25 minutes in, and I'm going, dear Jesus. I said, all right, I got to find him. I said, I'm going to find him. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to find him. So I jump out of the bus. I bring another kid with me. <laughs> That's smart. Um, I'm like, hey, come with me. I don't know what you're going to do, but come on. We're going to go find him. And so... I come walking around, I'm going down these different alleys, and sure enough, I see Brandon with this 14-year-old girl talking to this prostitute. And I, and I see him, and Brandon looks at me, and he goes like this, he goes, and I'm like, known him a long time, that doesn't seem super great. So I'm standing there, and they pray, and then they start walking back. <laughs> Brandon says this to me, he's like, I've been in a lot of scary places, I've been on Skid Row. That was the sketchiest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> that makes me feel great! <laughs> We get back on the bus, this little white girl from Kearney. <laughs> what it taught me, though, is, man, there's this little girl who felt like God told her to do something. And it was, the comfortable thing was to do what the 30-something-year-old was doing and stay in his white rear end in the van. <laughs> and that night, they got to go minister to someone who was hurting. Comfort zones are where dreams and hopes go to die. So if you're staying in a place that's super comfortable, I promise you all the dreams and all the hopes and all the things that you want to accomplish, they will not happen. Get out and do something. That's like city love, right? That's outside of your comfort zone, maybe. You know what's so sad right now is the fact that we, we treat people right now like everybody has leprosy. <laughs> My heart breaks for the fact that, like, like we're not hugging people right now. I always check with people. I'm like, you okay with this? Because I'm a hugger, right? Man, we need that right now. People need hope. They need love. Just because some stinking COVID-19 came in does not mean we stop being the church. Does not mean that we stop being the hands and the feet of Jesus. People need hope. They need love. They need joy that you possess. We have to give that stuff away. All right, got to move. Point number two, believe for the impossible. So point number one, when we come up against a Jericho in our life, we can't be afraid. Point number two, we have to believe for the impossible. Jericho was an impossible situation. It was a place that, like, how are we going to do this? These walls are impenetrable. Other military forces have come, and they failed. God, how are we going to do this? But see, God, he's a God of impossible situations. In 2017, my life was turned on its head in a way that I'd never experienced before. It was supposed to be the happiest time of my life. We were told we were going to have a son in November of 2017. Well, um, he was a big kid, takes after me. Um, and they told us, hey, you probably need to come in in October and, and have a C-section because he's kind of not, some things going on. He's a big kid. We need to deliver him early. So like, cool. So we go in, our doctors assures us, hey, listen, it's going to be fine. It's a normal C-section. This is, there's a whole lot less unknowns by doing it this way. We're like, cool, we trust you. 
It'll be 15 minutes. We'll be done. So we get in, and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there with my wife. I'm holding her hand. I don't do blood, so I'm like, please keep the sheet up. And um, it seemed like it was taking a little bit longer than 15 minutes. It seemed like they were starting to struggle a little bit. And then after about 25, 30 minutes, out pops a baby, and I hear his first cry. And so we take him into this room, and we lay him on this table, and they're like, Dad, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? I'm like, do you want me to throw up or pass out right here? No, I don't want to do that. Thank you. Like, okay. So, I mean, listen, I, I am who I am. So, um, so we go put him on Mom's chest, and I'm excited. All our, all our family's there. It's like, hey, can I go tell the family that he's here? They're like, yeah, for sure. So I run out there and I'm like, hey, he's here, he's here, he's here. You guys can come back in a little bit. We're just going to get in our room and all that. By the time it took me time to go walk out and tell them and go back in, I walk into the room where Emma and my son are, and there's about eight or nine doctors standing in the room. And they said, Mr. Christopher, um, we need you to come with us right now. We don't know what's going on, but um, we, need to, we need to check out some things. Your wife's going to be fine, but we need you to come. And the next what feels like an eternity was probably more like 30 minutes to an hour. I felt like I was on a really bad episode of ER. We were running up and down hallways. Um, I go into another room where they start like bending every appendage he has and st sticking them with needles. And you just, what's going on? I couldn't get answers. Finally, the, the doctor looks at me and he goes, we need to get your son to the NICU immediately. And so we're rushing into the NICU where there's like another room of four or five doctors and nurses standing there and they start you can put that picture up right here. I start putting all these different things on my son. And um, the next three hours are the longest three hours of my life. They said, just go back in the room with your wife. And, um, you know, we'll be there in a minute. Three hours later, the doctor comes in. Our baby doctor, NICU doctor, and the social worker. And they come in and they sit down, which that's never a great sign. So here's what you have to understand. He said, at this point, we have to preserve his quality of life. Your son has had multiple strokes. And right now, um, there's not one part of his brain that isn't damaged. He, um, we, we want to see that hopefully he's not a vegetable, but you may not leave this hospital with your son, and you need to be prepared for that. That's why we brought the social worker in so she can talk about your options. And I just remember trying to figure out what was happening. My first son, this is, this is not supposed to be this way. So they told us, they said, listen, based on what we've seen, we don't think your son will ever walk. He'll ever talk. He'll ever eat on his own. So, and don't be alarmed if you come in tomorrow and he's on a ventilator. So this started... <laughs> The next three weeks, which are the longest weeks of my life, they told us we'd be in the NICU until at least February if we got to go home. And so I remember that night I jumped in my car and I'm flying down I-70 screaming at God. I was mad. I said, God, what? I have given everything to you. I've given everything to you. What else do you want from me? I've turned down raises. I've given up money. I've given up other jobs. I've moved my family across the state. What do you want? And God reminded me of this word. 
as I pulled back into the hospital, I said, I want you to walk one more lap. I said, God, I don't know that I have that in me. He said, you do. I want you to trust me. I walked up to my wife's room. I said, and at that time, a song came on the radio I'd never heard before. But it was a song called Find You Here by Ellie Holcomb, which is literally word for word like what we were going through. I played it for my wife, and I went to bed on the plastic couch that night with a piece in my heart. Did not know what the future was going to hold. Three weeks later, I had to go back to work. I looked at my wife. I was like, listen, there's a lot of meetings I've got to do, and I've got to go back to work. I was down at the Lake of the Ozarks in a meeting, and my wife calls me. She's like, hey, you need to come back to the hospital right now. I'm like, you don't understand. It's like my first day back. I'm like, I just told you I had to come back to work. She's like, no, 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 no. The NICU doctor came in and said he needs to talk to us both. So back in my car and fly back to Columbia, walk in. NICU doctor comes in. He says, listen, I, don't, I can't explain this, and we don't use this word in our field, but this is a miracle. He's like, we have no reason. He said, we have no reason to keep your son here any longer. He's like, it seems like everything's fine. He's like, obviously, there's a lot of things we don't know about. He says, there's a lot of things that come in the future. But right now, he seems, he's breathing, he's eating, he's doing things. And so this is my son now. He's my kid through and through. Um, we got to get him in, in Brandon's drum lessons here pretty quick because he's obsessed with the drums. You can show that next picture. Brandon would agree this is my kid through and through. So um, he's normal, man. He's, he's happy. He's healthy. He's, he's wonderful. He's, uh, he blows me away. And, and I felt like God needed to tell me. He's like, listen, uh, I grew up, uh, I'm still probably a skeptic in some things. And God needed to put a walking, breathing miracle in my life every single day to remind me he's the God of the impossible. Listen, all through the Bible, there's impossible situations. All through the Bible, this Abraham asked to sacrifice his only son. Joseph sold into slavery and eventually thrown into prison. Moses was cornered at the Red Sea. Gideon had to take 300 men against 300,000. David had to face a giant. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace. Jonah was stuck in a whale. Lazarus was dead. Paul was in chains. Uh, Timothy was too young. Jesus was crucified and buried in a tomb. Throughout the entire Bible, it's impossible situations. And Jericho was another one of those impossible situations. Can I tell you, when we come up against impossible situations, God is the God of the impossible. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what impossible situation you're faced with. But I'm telling you, you serve a great and mighty God who, is, who, who can do anything beyond what we can ever think or imagine. Point number three, and I'm going to wrap it up. God just wants us to be obedient. See, this is the one where it gets a little crazy. We can believe and not be afraid. We can believe for the impossible, right? But when it comes to obedience, sometimes this is where things get a little awry. Things get a little crazy on us. God asks us to do some things that are a little out of our comfort zone or a little, a little nuts, right? Walking around a city with archers peering down at them that was known for its military force Walking around silently was foolish. Walking around on the seventh day seven times and then shouting was foolish. But it's what God asked them to do. Sometimes you may be in the line at McDonald's and you feel God tell you, pay for the person in back of you. And you're like, what? That seems dumb. That seems foolish. 
or maybe it's your son is going to be a vegetable the rest of his life, but then you sit and believe for the impossible, and that seems foolish. I have people telling me, like, you need to prepare for the worst. I said, I'm going to hold on to the best because I know who God is, right? There's sometimes things happen, and it seems foolish, right? Right now, praying for someone, actually touching somebody might seem foolish, but come on, Jesus wasn't afraid of leprosy. Hello. And sometimes we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zones and just be obedient to what God is saying in the moment. See, God just wants us to have faith and trust again. God wants us just to simply do it again. Walking around the city. I mean, can you imagine the 40,000 people in the army as they're marching? What are we doing? This is stupid. Can you imagine the seventh day? I've been tired of walking around the city, Joshua. My feet hurt in these little sandals, right? Can you imagine, like, when it came time to blow the horn and shout, they're like, ah, my gosh, right? Can you imagine in that moment, though, like when their faith went into action and then here come the walls, earthquake, whatever happened at the time, right? And the walls came down and they went straight in just like God said. But see, here's the key. The key is actually in verse one. You want to go back to verse one here. Now, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. You didn't get it. Hold on. Let's go to Joshua chapter 2 for a minute. Joshua chapter 2 verse 8 says this. And before they were laid down, she came into them, as she's talking about Rahab, upon the roof. She said unto the men, I know that Jehovah hath given you the land. See, what happened is they sent two spies into Jericho, and they stayed with Rahab, who was also a prostitute. And Rahab housed them and, and kept them safe. And this is what Rahab said to them. I know that Jehovah has given you the land, and the fear of you has fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land have melt away before you. For we have heard how Jehovah dried up the water at the Red Sea. We heard um, about how when you came out of Egypt. We heard about what he did with the two kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more spirit in any man because of you, for Jehovah, your God, he is the God in heaven and on earth. Whoo! Come on, listen to me. We're going to bring this home. Listen to me. Jericho was shut up because the enemy knew who they were. The enemy had heard the stories. And they said, listen, we know our city's impenetrable. We know our walls are great. We know thing, we're a great military force. But we don't know what those people are. We just know there's something with them. We know that God is with them. We know that he's dried up the Red Sea. We know he dried up the Jordan. We know that he wiped out the Amorites. Like, I don't know, but we know who they are. And so because of that, we're going to shut up our city. Can I tell you, your enemy knows who you are. And all he does is spend his time trying to convince you of, of, of everything that you aren't. And all he's trying to do is just if you figure out who you are and you figure out what God wants to do in your life and you figure out to be a kingdom person right here, right now, not abandoning position and waiting for the rapture to happen, but actually bringing the kingdom to earth right here, right now, and you figure out what God is wanting to do through you and the things he has in store for you, can I tell you that the enemy is afraid of that because he knows who you are. And all he wants to do is hold you back from that. 
So, hey, here's COVID. Here's elections. Here's cancer. Here's sickness. Here's financial trouble. Here's all this stuff. And, and sometimes we all these things affect us, but as the people of God, I mean to say, listen, my feet are upon the rock. I know who I serve. I know who's in control. I don't need to be afraid for tomorrow because I know who holds tomorrow. See, God of the impossible, and he just wanted obedience. This is what happens. Abraham had a ram provided so he didn't have to sacrifice his son. Joseph became second in command of all of Egypt. The Red Sea parted for Moses. Gideon defeated 300,000 men. David killed the giant. Daniel made some friends out of the lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked away without harm. Jonah got out of the whale, and all of Nineveh repented. Lazarus was awakened to new life. Paul's shackles fell off. Timothy has two books in the Bible after him. Jesus Christ rose on the third day, saving all of mankind, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Listen, church. God just wants to do it again. You can play some music as we're wrapping up. God just wants to do it again in our lives. Can I tell you, I'm not afraid to, for tomorrow. I'm excited. I think we're entering one of the most exciting times we've ever seen in the church. But God needs people to rise up and not be afraid. He needs people to show love like never before. There's a world that's hurting. Listen, I do a lot of Barna research. They're saying right now that a third of the church in America is gone, and it's never coming back. They're not watching online. They're not coming back to the doors. That a third of the church is gone. A third! That should shake us to our core. We have work to do. We don't have time to be afraid of the unknown and afraid of the unexpected. That's not who God's called us to be. The apostles... When God moved upon them and they were preaching and sharing Jesus, they all knew that death was certain. Guess what, though? Death comes for us all. COVID may kill you, but you're more likely probably to get into a car accident when you leave today and be killed. We have to live today like there's no tomorrow. Live today like we're not promised anything more than right here, right now. And there are people that are hurting and they need Jesus. They need us to be who he's called us to be. I don't know about you. I can't wait. I'm going to come the rest of this week because I'm excited. I want to encounter God. But listen, if you, if you leave this week unchanged and you just walk out the same way you walked in, can I tell you, God, he has put you on this earth for more than whatever it is that you're just resolving to. He has a plan for your life. When I was 15 years old, sitting in this church, if you would have ever told me that I would be where I'm at right now, I would have said, you're absolutely nuts. You're crazy. But I don't know where I'm going. I may not be promised tomorrow, but I know right now I'm not just going to sit around and wait for eternity. I'm going to bring eternity right now because that's what God has called me to be. He's called me to be a hope dealer be a joy dealer, to love people regardless of where they're at or what they're going through. Our world is broken. Our 
nation is broken. We're divided. Thank, thank goodness that God is a God of unity. All of this stuff that we've heard about and watched and seen happen before our eyes, do you realize like that could all disappear? When, when the hearts of men and women begin to submit themselves to God, I don't know about you, but I, I read stories about Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth, he was crazy. He walked in the back of he walked in the back of a church of a funeral. Hey, put yourself here. He said that person's not dead. Can you imagine at a funeral? And he walked up and he reached into the casket and he pulled the person up. We'd all be freaking out. Person came to life though. Smith Wigglesworth. He walked on a train. The power of the Holy Ghost was all over him. That people on the train fell out in the spirit. <laughs> they didn't even they didn't know Jesus. Charles Finney walked into a factory. He felt like God said, walk through this factory and don't say a word. So he walked through this factory with like 300 people. Didn't say a word. Just walked through it. People begin to look into his eyes. And they would say, look at his eyes. Look at his eyes. And they begin to weep. When he walked out of the factory, over 100 people came to know Jesus that day. He never said a word. Man, God wants to do incredible things, church. The power of God is just as real now as it was back then. And he wants to do incredible things through you. Maybe you just need to walk one more lap. Maybe you're at a spot right now where you feel like giving up. God says it's not time to give up. It's not time to give up. A few weeks ago, this is the last, last thing I say. A few weeks ago, I, I was down in the dumps pretty hardcore. We had just canceled my youth convention which I was super bummed because Brandon was going to speak at it. And I remember sitting just like, what's the point? What's the point of all of this? And I heard God whisper to my heart. He said, you think I'm done? Well, it feels like you're done. So I am. So I'm not done. I'm only getting started. And I said, okay, God, what's that mean? He says, it's going to look different. But I just need you to trust me. I said, God, I don't know if I have it in me. He says, you do. Do you remember three years ago when you said those exact same words? You said you didn't have it in you. And I came through. I said, yeah, I remember that too, God. Revival's on its way. The best days of the church, I believe with all my heart, are in front of it. What an exciting time to be alive. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, we love you so much. 
God, we need you. We need you. God, I pray right now that you would begin to breathe just a freshness, God, upon this body. Lord, just renewed energy, renewed strength right now in the name of Jesus. God, what the enemy has tried to steal in the last year, Lord, I know, God, you're bringing it back, but you're going to bring it back tenfold. Lord, I pray for the pastors in this church. Lord, what a hard time it is to be a minister. As ministers are leaving in droves, Lord, I pray right now, God, that you would give them strength, that you would rally this church around their pastors. God, for to reach this city, God, to do your will, and not just this city, God, but I pray, God, that the influence of this house, God, would be expanded, God, to the surrounding communities. God, that people would come in in droves because of what's happening here in ES First. Lord, so I pray for renewed energy and renewed strength upon every single minister in this house. Lord, upon every single congregant in this house. By a show of hands with every head bowed and every head closed and nobody looking around. If you're here today, you say, Ryan, listen, I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to walk one more lap. I'm so tired. I need strength. Would you just slip up your hand and say, pray for me. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. You're saying, pray for me. I see those hands all across the building. Right now, Father, you see these hands. You see those that are saying, listen, I'm tired. I don't know if I have it in me, but Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak to their hearts right now just like you did to me a few weeks ago and just like you did to me in 2017 when you said you're not done. God, you just needed to walk one more lap. You just need them to obey again. You need them not to be afraid to believe for the impossible. Lord, I pray for lost loved ones, God, that we may be given up hope. Lord, I, you're calling them home right now in the name of Jesus. God, the, the people in this church, God, that you're going to use to reach the lost in their families and in their cities and in their neighborhoods and in their workplaces. God, I pray for that anointing to fall fresh upon this place again. Lord, for every hand that was lifted, God, would you comfort them like only you can right now. Give them strength to endure. 